Welcome to Menopause Reimagined. I'm your host, Andrea Donsky. I'm a nutritionist for more than 18 years and I'm in menopause. I'm a menopause educator, menopause researcher, and I'm the co-founder of wearemorphous.com, a company that helps you to take control of your perimenopause and menopause symptoms with nutrition, lifestyle, supplements, and research. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Barry Tan. He's first and foremost, a scientist with a PhD in chemistry, biochemistry. And he was formerly an assistant professor at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. For the last 35 years, Barry has immersed himself in the world of vitamin E and is considered one of the world's foremost experts. He's credited with commercializing tocotrienols in three major natural sources, palm, rice, and annatto. His first discoveries were in palm and rice, but due to their high levels of tocopherol, they also lacked potency. Barry continued his research and was soon rewarded when he found the best-in-class tocotrienol in the annatto plant. Barry's relationship with annatto has spanned more than 20 years and multiple clinical trials across chronic diseases. Now, here's Barry. Welcome to Menopause Reimagined, Dr. Tan. Thank you. Good afternoon. Looking forward to this. Me too. And we had such great response from the last interview that you and I did that I thought, I want to have you back because... For those who didn't watch it, and also just there were questions that people had asked on YouTube and in our pod, on our podcast, and I thought it'd be great to address them and just start again from the beginning and remind everyone why tocotrienols are such an incredible product, which is our Toco E product, which is I'm, I'm so excited that we are offering it as part of our lineup of Morphus. So let's start from the beginning. Let's, let's tell everyone again how you came to discover tocotrienols. Okay, thank you. Um, I discovered tocotrienol because of my interest in carotene. Carotenes are the colors of life. Like if you eat carrot, that color is beta carotene. Tomato, that color is lycopene. And in the fall foliage in New England and part of Canada, that beautiful leaf is masked by chlorophyll, the green color. But during the two weeks of brilliance, uh, the hormone comes in, shut down uh, the, the, the um, green color because it's going to hibernation because of the winter time. And then you have two weeks of glorious uh, carotene, the plant habit. In humans, we don't make carotene. We just take carotene from the plant. My discovery has to do with the plant because the plant makes the carotene and the plant makes vitamin E, both the tocotrienol and the tocopherol. The tocotrienol is in the plant to protect the very sensitive carotene from going bad. If you want to have an appreciation of how unstable carotene is, for two weeks of splendor, you see this fantastic foliage. And after that, the leaf turn brown. See, they're very unstable. They just become brown, basically carbon like that. But if we take carotene in our body, we want our carotene to be stable. The plant have ways to keep it stable if they wanted to. If you make Italian sauce, for example, with tomato, the red color does not go away because it's inside the cytoplasm of the cell. When you uh, blanch carrot, the, car the, the carrots say only if you pan fry them or deep fry them, the oil will begin to take uh, look orangey because it leach out. So that's the backdrop including eating lobster and crustacean. They're yucky green or blue color. The moment you put it in hot water, it deprotonate and then the color show up. All that to say, carotenes are normally unstable. They're protected by the plant one way or the other. With the lone 
exception of Anato. I was in South America. Look, I showed the picture, a younger me then uh, in South America. That's a beautiful Anato plant there. And this plant is known for a very long time. The Inca Indian have markings on their body to show the ranking in their society like that. And uh, this is a very beautiful a shot of the anato plant. See, if you pretend I touch the seed here, you'll stain the color. That's the carotene color. So that to tell you that the carotene in this plant is neither protected in the cytoplasm or uh, proteinated. It just on, on there. It feels a little bit oily. So intuitively, about 25 years ago, I surmise there must be a very powerful antioxidant that protect uh, that carotene. I was expecting it to be a polyphenol because in nature there are many polyphenol and your listener probably know uh, a well-known polyphenol that an antioxidant would be resveratrol, uh, EGCG, quercetin. There are many out there. These are polyphenolic compounds. Surprisingly to me, it's not a polyphenol. It could be, but it wasn't. So the plant makes the most potent vitamin E and the vitamin E molecule look like that. You see, if I purposely go down and this is the antioxidant head with a ring, it's very powerful antioxidant. If I go the other end here, see the, the white and black color are carbon and hydrogen. They're very lipid soluble. So this molecule is made by the plant to stick right inside the cell membrane. Now, I don't know if I told this particular audience, in every human body, we have 38 trillion cells. That's a big number. It's about 5,000 times the population of the earth. And cells can only be cells if they have a cell wall to contain all the constituents, such as mitochondria, we call it powerhouse, the, uh, the nucleus, they make you look like your parents and make me look like my parents because of the DNA and all the other organelles. But the cell wall needs to be there. I'm thinking of the cell wall as in a community of cohort that connect with each other, but they are protected and they are gatekeeper to keep uh, the community together. Cell wall does that. So cell wall need to be kept well. If they are not, if they're broken, then the integrity of the community will be lost. Right. So now I know this may sound simplistic, but it is actually like that. People stop talking about this thing, which is too bad. So when I when I say something is an antioxidant, everybody and their grandmother talk about antioxidant. So it's just kind of like trite after a while. When I say antioxidant, I specifically refer to antioxidant that protect lipids because lipid is the is the easiest to get oxidized. Yes, it is true. I don't want my protein to be oxidized. I don't want my DNA to be oxidized. And I don't want my carbohydrate to be oxidized. But all of those oxidize less difficultly. The most easy thing to oxidize is fat. If you don't believe me, you put a stick of butter out on a hot summer day. You just come back one hour after you smell it, that thing or you drive past a roadkill after a day or two, that smell. See, it is first the fat get oxidized or a fish that has been kept in the refrigerator too long. Yes, there are other oxidation, but the first thing that go off, of all things, fish oil. 
fish oil is unstable, so they will go bad and then we smell it. So now yeah. back to this. So yeah. this vitamin E molecule, see, it looked like a tadpole or a sperm. So in here is inside the cell wall, anchored inside the cell wall, and out here is the antioxidant head. So if your oxygen come and attack your phospholipid, 80% is fat. So if you attack the fat, this thing will go like, remember, it's anchored into the cell wall. It just go in and take the oxygen out. So this, ladies and gentlemen, when people tell her about antioxidant, care the most about the antioxidant that protect your cell wall. And 80% of your cell wall is fat. That kind of antioxidant, I call it lipid antioxidant, and tocotrienol does that. So while we're on here, I know I'm hogging the space a little bit to let you know the difference between a tocopherol and tocotrienol. If this were to be a tocopherol, you see that there's a double bond here, there's a double bond here, and a double bond here. And hence, try in, try in, like that. So there's three double bond. If this were not double bond, then it will be a tocopherol. The tail will be completely saturated and it will be 30% longer. So if a tocopherol is there, it anchors deeper. So it doesn't move as much. If it's tocotrienol, you know, it anchors less, so it goes around. So if you think again of a cell like this, a tocopherol will go around the cell like this to protect the entire three-dimensional cell wall. A tocotrienol, because it anchors less deeply, it still go around the cell like a tocopherol, except it does it like that. Because it anchors less deeply, so it covers more chance to remove any oxidation. So a tocotrienol and tocopherol both catch the radical, the bad guys, except a tocotrienol can do it faster. So for that main reason, I've been encouraging people even if they have no chronic conditions of anything, they should take at least 100 to 200 milligram a day to protect the entire 38 trillion cells from oxidative damage. I'm not talking about any sick people, just normal oxidative protection. And you need that because we need oxygen to live. But one in every 10,000 oxygen, it goes, that oxygen go wacko. But 9,999 9, time of those oxygens are okay because we need that for just to live, you know, is, is to trap the one out of 10,000 that go wacko. And then a molecule like this will best be able to protect the cell membrane. Thank you so much for allowing me to tell you that. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, so a couple of things I want to unpack there. So number one, for those of you who are listening on our podcast on Menopause Reimagined, you can come over to YouTube and you can see the full video. So you can see what Dr. Ten is showing. He's very visual, which you know me, ladies who watch, who listen to my podcast and watch my segments. You know that I'm always showing a prop. Dr. Tan is very similar. He throw, he shows the prop. So come over to YouTube and come watch it if you want to see what he's showing. So Dr. Ten. Now, when we look at supplements or you look at products on the market, you always see, for the most part, they have tocopherols, the DL tocopherol, the alpha tocopherol. So explain why is it the companies are using it? And so I think I want to understand a little bit better. The Like, I understand what you're saying in terms of scientifically and structurally why they're different, but why to the average consumer like myself, would that matter to me, for, you know, tocopherol versus tocotrienol? About tocopherol. In the, in the late 80s, 
At the time, tocopherol was such a potent antioxidant, tocotrona is known but barely at the time. So there were very large-scale clinical study to use D-alpha-tocopherol, sometimes DL. DL is just a vaccination for synthetic, and D-alpha-tocopherol is natural. But regardless, they use alpha-tocopherol, and they use anywhere between uh, about 250, 400 milligram, and some of them even 1,000 milligram, thinking that if it protects a cell wall, it would have cardiovascular benefit, it would have anti-cancer benefit. That was the intent. And those were very large study. It was done at Harvard University in conjunction with the VA hospital. If you look, uh, you can see this study and they are like 20,000, 30,000, very large a group of people. They are larger than any clinical trials I know. The hope was that to look for any cardiovascular and anti-cancer benefit. So now I can give you the shorthand, uh, or you can go and Google this, and you can look at it, uh, study yourself. At best, the alpha-tocopherol vitamin E uh, did nothing, at best. Oh, wow. And at worst, they found that some men uh, may have cancer of the lung and prostate, and in women, the group is so large, it include men and women, it may have increased breast cancer. That was a no-no because the intention was to be anti-cancer. And now they even have some people having this kind of cancer. And then in another sub-study, they did it with postmenopausal men. They did it with postmenopausal women on this uh, vitamin E. And they found out that they have increased chance of cardiovascular disease. So mm. I'm thinking that this is death. And this is in the 1990s. At the time, I've been I already started to do studies of tocotrienol about 10, 15 years. And then I remember, I was at the University of Massachusetts. I said, oh, they're going to throw the baby with the bathwater. I'm done. Because, because I, was just doing, I was a researcher then, you know, but I somehow persisted. I said, you know, this tocotrienol is a vitamin E like tocopherol, but because of the tail and the three double bond, it's classically different. So I persisted. So if any of you think out there that I'm trying to make money fast, it isn't. I've been doing tocotrienol say, for the last four decades. In another month and a half, I'll be 70 years old. I do this because I believe that it has long-term benefit to people like that. And I have not gone away in these four decades. Still studying it. I, I survived that situation on the vitamin E. I explained to people the vitamin E that they use is alpha-tocopherol, and much of the study is using synthetic alpha-tocopherol, even worse. So basically, it does nothing at best. And at worst, could be some question mark on the cancer and the women with cardiovascular benefit. So that took me on the last 20 years or so to conduct study on tocotrienol. And all the studies we have done, mostly chronic conditions, and you can pick any of these, I can talk about that. But now I just tell you like a, a roller deck. These are all the different studies we do. We have done we study people, we have a dyslipidemia, that means that the lipid is all over the map, the cholesterol, the triglyceride. We study people with prediabetes, we study people with metabolic syndrome, and then we study people who are diabetic, 
And finally, when we did all of this, I decided that I got to do this head on and study uh, people with fatty liver like that. And it was in the fatty liver group. We found that people in three months and six months and 12 months, I'm going to say something and it may surprise you. We study them because they're fatty liver condition and we care a lot about them. One of the fantastic side effects we notice on the three, six, and 12 months is these patients consistently lost weight from 10 to 15 pounds. And that was not a design. So when people who are fatty liver, they are already overweight and possibly borderline obesity. This is no judgment call on people who carry a lot of weight. I, I only wanted to be there to help how to manage this. And we saw that these NAFLD, non-alcohol fatty liver disease people, they actually lost 10 to 15 pounds. So I'm thinking of this, not per se, a weight loss product because weight loss product people looking at it for two to four weeks our first observation is three months you see like that but we see the weight loss and the weight loss is consistent we saw that again in six months and repeated in 12 months i said this is something i think that the weight loss is because the the metabolism is so out of whack so when they take the toco try, you know, they came back into kilter and into balance. And as a consequence, the body uh, uh, react to that positively and therefore the weight loss follows. So I, I think that, you know, I, you know, uh, uh, Andrea, I, of all the things I study on the NAFLD, I expected to see the liver enzyme drop. I expected to see the fat go away and I expected to see some other thing because I'm studying fatty liver disease, you know, but yeah. I didn't expect the weight loss and the weight loss was, I call it, you know, is pure gravy. <laughs> so. What was the dosage that the, your, the participants were taking with fatty liver who lost the weight? Okay. We, we gave to people in that study, 600 milligrams. And now, don't immediately jump on that, but let me explain to you, because everything has a context. It's not so completely out of context, but it, it took to, to tell it in the exact truth. The study of weight loss is actually out of context. We never designed the study for that. We study people who are overweight and have fatty liver disease, and probably their ab abdomen is distended like that. So you can actually see them. They, they look more apple-shaped than pear-shaped like that. Not that pear-shaped is congratulatory, but apple-shaped is actually dangerous, you know, because yeah. it's right in the abdomen, abdominal part. So we're studying them. So when we were doing that, they are people already with confirmed fatty liver, and the liver is the largest organ. So we decided that we got to have the higher dose to address already and our condition is in there. So we gave them 300 milligram two times a day with, with a meal. Always, please always take tocotrano with a meal. It's not difficult to do because you have emulsification and your tocotrano absorbed. The last thing is you, you take a beautiful product and it costs some money and you take it on an empty stomach and 99% is pooped off. See, why, you know? So, but if you don't want it to be a, a not a, if you want it to be absorbed, you just take it with a meal. It emulsified and churned. It helps the body to absorb lipid material better. So we did it 
based on the 600 milligram. I believe I don't have the data in front of my hand, either in the pre-diabetes study or the diabetes study, which we gave to people approximately 300 milligram. We also saw a modest drop, not like 10 to 15 a pound, more like five to 10 pound when we have it less. So there you have it. So then it said, uh, the audience may ask, oh, is there any safety issue with 600? Uh, 600 milligram? No. Our, our, our largest clinical study we use, we give it to people 900 milligram. I'm not asking people to take 900 milligram. Those are stage four cancer patients. So you, you, you can do the math. And for example, I'm a small Asian person, five feet four, 125 pounds, and I take 600 milligram. So I, then I, this is Full disclosure, why do I take 600 milligram? I have genetic hypercholesterolemia. My doctor said that it's not because of your diet. No matter what you do, even if you're pure vegan, your, your liver is going to crunch up this cholesterol. You have hypercholesterolemia. They put me on satin drug. So for that, I take 600 milligram. It didn't help me to lower the cholesterol because it's genetics, you know, that the gene keep making it like that. And the toco trinol can't do with the gene, just able to help in the metabolizing manner. But I did notice this. I took 600 milligram because it helped me to reduce the other half of people that have heart disease. It lowered the C-reactive protein. Lower the inflammation, and Andrea, that is important to me. It lowered the inflammation, and I did one only one time. I did. People say that if you have this bad cholesterol, it's called LDL. If the bad cholesterol is very dense, like this size, like this size, so it's dense, so that is atherogenic. If the LDL is like this, we call okay. it buoyant LDL, mm -hmm. then it's not atherogenic. So the one time when I did this kind of study, most of my LDL, though high, they are the buoyant LDL, and therefore they're not atherogenic. So for my case, even though I'm a slight person, I take 600 milligram, uh, 300 with two meals like that, to reduce my C-reactive protein inflammation, and to make sure that the LDL that I have are the buoyant kind. Stays fluffy. We're going to actually, what we'll do is we'll put a link to an interview I did <clears> with <throat> Dr. Johnny Bowden, who wrote the great cholesterol myth. And he talked a lot about the dense versus the fluffy LDL. So if you want, for those of you who are listening, want a little bit more information on it, we'll, we'll put that below so you can watch that interview. So Dr. Tan, just so before we move on, I just want to clarify for, for our listeners. So you are, you are on statins and you still take, Tokoe, it is okay to to take both. I just want to be clear because we have a lot of our um, listeners who might be taking statins right now, and we're gonna they're gonna want to know whether or not they're allowed. They can take it together. Yeah, I, I know I'm not in a place here to tell uh, 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 people who take statin to stop taking. I'll, I'll never do that. But yes, I do take statin and I do take tocotrienol. I know of only one clinical study done about 25 years ago. They give this amount of statin and then the cholesterol drop. And then in another study, uh, they give same amount of statin with the tocotrienol and it dropped another 10% more. So in that study, however, those patients, the amount uh, of cholesterol that they have were not like mine. Mine were genetically high. Nice. So these were just okay. random people. So that study was known. I have not seen, personally, 
I'm probably the only person standing that have taken tocotrienol longer than any other homo sapiens <laughs> on earth. I've been taking it for uh, 30, 35 years, for a very long time, you know, like that. And I, and I started, the setting that I take is not 35 years, probably I'm going to say half the time. I don't exactly know, uh, 10, 12 years. And I, I take both of these, at least in the last 10 years, I didn't see anything that my taking of the tocotrienol is negative to my taking of statin or the reverse. I didn't see okay. any uh, uh, interaction like that. So would it be safe to say that if we're taking a dose of 150 or 300 milligrams, maybe it's the 150 twice a day, would you, is it safe to say that that it would have that effect on for those of us who don't have a specific genetic issue with cholesterol or specific specific medical condition, that it would help to keep our LDL, that cholesterol, <laughs> also fluffy? Is would it have that same effect? <laughs> I, I I'm gonna guess yes. Uh, uh, even more dramatic because to measure the fluffiness of the LDL, the bad cholesterol, you can do this. It, it's expensive, and only certain places can do. The measurement I ask people to take to do is all patients have the lipid profile taken once a year by their doctor. Let, let's just and, be clear with what that is. That's LDL, HDL, triglycerides, right? Okay, so yeah. Uh, uh, LDL is what we uh, uh, dubbed it as bad cholesterol. High is atherogenic. HDL is a good cholesterol uh, uh, because it, it tends to promote arterial health so you don't have heart condition or cardiovascular condition. Triglyceride, it, 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 in chemistry, it just means fat. Uh, we call it triglyceride in your blood. And if the triglyceride is high, it usually goes in the direction of prediabetes and people who are diabetic. If time permitting, I'll make a comment on that later. So these are all the lipid profile. So it, And your doctor would measure your blood and would do a lipid panel. And in the lipid panel, we'll have this. Usually, they'll stick in uh, the sugar. So when you read, when when you when you ask, when your doctor does that, so if the patient you wanted to jump in with one, and it costs them literally fifty cents or a few dollars to do. But if you don't ask, sometimes the doctor does not put in. So you can ask the doctor while you're doing my lipid profile. Can you also check uh, my my C-reactive protein for inflammation? Just request if you and. The, some doctors are very proactive and they put it in anyway. And if they don't, and if you already had it on your old folder, just look at your C-reactive protein. So you know your C-reactive protein here. And if you start taking tocotrienol, you should notice that your C-reactive protein will drop. I consistently see that. So I use my C-reactive protein and I tell people to use the drop of the C-reactive protein as a mirror of what it would like with the buoyancy of your LDL. Amazing. People who have dropped it and, and, and doing the buoyancy of the LDL is not a routine thing that a doctor does. Yeah, you have but, to doing, uh, but doing the C-reactive protein, yes. And it only costs them a few dollars. The HMO would not uh, squawk on that. But they may squawk on it if you want them to put the buoyancy thing because the doctor may say, I can do that for you, but but what benefit is there? This would be more diagnostic doctor, not, not the one that you mentioned because we are alternative. We want to read everything to it. But for doctor, the HMO prescribed, if you cannot 
diagnostically say something, then they don't want to spend the money to, to do it. But C-reactive protein is already in the panel. But you have to, if they don't, just request it. And if your C-reactive protein dropped, that's a very good sign. So what about homocysteine? Does it affect the homocysteine levels as well? Yes, the, the C-reactive, the homocysteine has more relationship with the B vitamin. So if you take good B vitamin, that work on it. I know uh, this this will take all the rest of the time. Uh, then there are other experts on this. The B vitamin help uh, uh, the cysteine to go in a pathway and will not, cysteine is a good uh, 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 amino acid, go that direction, as opposed to a deviant homocysteine. And then that homocysteine is taking the cysteine to another direction that cause atherogenicity. But the cysteine is a good, cysteine, for example, is one of the molecule inside glutathione, for example, and many other protein in make, but not homocysteine. So anyway, that, that, that is something I would recommend people do. Well, I'm at it, and before you change the subject, you mentioned the lipid profile, you mentioned triglyceride. That's important. That is in your lipid profile all the time. Sorry, if I close my eyes because I wanted to focus to answer the question the audience yeah, yeah, would like. Really. So if you read in your lipid profile, oftentimes the doctor reads the HDL and the LDL because those are numbers for you to clock your artery or help your artery like this. But usually the doctor may not read so the, the triglyceride or say something about the triglyceride. I want to say something about the triglyceride. And that number is always in your lipid profile. About 30 years ago, I met a professor, Gerald Reven. You can Google and listen to him. He has since retired and passed away. He's a Stanford University endocrinologist. At the time, he came up with some metabolism in the body that is out of kilter. He does not know how to figure it out. So he called it syndrome X. Since then, it's called metabolic. After that, it's called metabolic syndrome. When we figure what the problem is, it's called syndrome X because during that time, and some of the younger audience may be too young and not watching the movie, there are movie called The X File, like that, you know? So anything X is very sexy. So, so that this is a syndrome X. But this, the X here is used because we don't know what the situation is. And when he figured it out, he was receiving an award in the American Diabetes Association. It's probably 20 years ago. And I'm a short Asian guy, and there was a long line waiting to ask questions. I knew I will never get to the front to ask the question before the next speaker. And this gentleman is waiting to get out on the back to catch his flight back to Palo Alto like that. So anyway, I decided I was going to do a sneaky thing. So when he was walking out, the people line up here, I would go here and, and tuck in and uh, ask him the question there. Of course, I stopped him. He did stop and he was not uh, very gung-ho with me stopping him like that. So I just said, I have some question to ask you. And he didn't even ask me for the question, but he said it. You walk away with this, you will learn much about metabolic syndrome. And I'll tell you what he say. And I, then I simplify what he said. He said to, he only make one sentence and then he left me. So he said, hypertriglyceridemia always precedes hyperglycemia. Wow. In simple language, I would say, you have high triglyceride first. 
after that, your sugar will go up. So therefore, as it applies to prediabetes and diabetes, people will have first have high triglycerides significantly long before they have high sugar. So therefore, now I gave you an operative. When you get your next lipid profile, even yeah. though your doctor may not is, you read the triglyceride. Is it normal? Is it a little bit higher than normal? Or is it off the chart normal? Once you read this, you will be your own doctor to find out if that's good or not. Now, having said that, I know this. If you take tocotrienol, the, the triglyceride will drop. I have seen this in at least half a dozen of our study. I'm most proud of this. And the reason we do this with metabolic syndrome, with pre-diabetes, with diabetes, and finally with fatty liver, we consistently always see the triglyceride drop in addition to the C-reactive protein. So thank you for letting me get this out of my chest because this is so important because and and now this the, the audience can do it themselves you just have to you just have to look at your thing and make sure you look and if you want to know oh what is high normal this and that just go online don't sweat and you don't even have to email me just go online to say what is normal triglyceride what is try they'll give you all the things the u.s government have all of those and now you can do this yourself <laughs> oh, I, I love that. First of all, we love tools that we can empower ourselves. So we're all about amorphous menopause reimagine. We're all about empowering women to take control of their health and their symptoms. And I always tell women, get copies of your blood work because, you know, you want to, in order for you to understand it, you need to get a copy of it so that you can look at the numbers. So if somebody asked you, what are those levels? You have access to that in your file, in your medical file. So you don't have to go call your doctor. You'd be like, oh yeah. So these are ways that you can look at it. So again, before we move on, I'm just going to ask you, Number one, what dosage? And number two, how many studies have been on tocotrienols? You said half a dozen studies. So how many studies in total have you done on tocotrienols? Probably uh, uh, 20, 20 wow. and upwards. It's a lot. We have done a lot Amazing. of studies. I think, uh, you know, I'll put it this funny way. If it were not me, who is an owner of the company, and I work for a company that does that, somebody would already have fired me. I did this because of my pure passion. So as I make some money, I put it on to clinical study. Clinical study takes long time to do, and you have to be patient, and, and then you have to, and then they're very expensive to do. But now I actually have this data. That's why my enthusiasm is greatly, in, we have done hundreds of animal study like that. So that's that piece. On the dosage, I would, I'm gonna use a range because People are different makeup and different weight in particular. I would say for normal antioxidative protection, anywhere from one to 200 milligram would be fine. And if a person has mild chronic condition, then anywhere between two to 300 would be fine. If a person have a, a more serious or more chronic condition, have been living with chronic condition for a long time, then it's about 400 milligram, more or less. And the highest that we ever use, the 600 or the 900 milligram, those are used on a very a bad situation, you know, people with stage four cancer patient like that, including a breast cancer, the, all the different cancer studies that we have done, ovarian cancer, 
breast cancer, lung cancer, colon cancer, and pancreatic cancer. So there are 400 cancers. We're not able to do all of them, but this catches a much of it. The only big one that we have not set foot to, to do is prostate cancer. Maybe mm -hmm. time in the future may allow. Otherwise, I cover them all. And, and of the ones that I cover, two are peculiar sorry wrong word not peculiar specific to women and that would be breast cancer and ovarian cancer the the study that we have positive result are on ovarian cancer again before i tell you the result so that you you have to just take a step back we study women with stage 4 ovarian cancer that means there are no more available option it also means that in 4 to 6 months none of them would be living. See, to remember that contact, that's very serious. So in the study we did like that, there will be one group that take uh, uh, the Amgen product, Vazumanib, uh, uh, I know it's a terrible sounding word. It, it, that just means it, it stopped the angiogenic artery growth to the tumor. So it cut off the tumor, you cut the feeding tubes to feed the tumor, so the tumor starved to death, essentially like that. So in the other group, they still have to give that drug because there's no reason ethically that you stop that drug and give people toco know That wouldn't be allowed. So they have to take the same drug, but in the second group, they right. gave them the 900 milligram toco know and the results are there. After six months on the first group, there's nobody living, mm -hmm. just like in the registry. This is done in Denmark. There is no when people get to stage four the cancer have gone everywhere the options are not good so they continue to take that drug to control the growth of the tumor so perhaps they may i'm just making this up perhaps they can live longer than three and probably six months and if some luck maybe nine months something like that on this group that has the toco trienol and the medication <clears throat> after six months 60% of them are still living. So you can do the math. Wow. And, and, this, and, <clears throat> and then this is done in Denmark. Denmark have very good wealth, healthcare. I remember Jessine talking with them. I'm not making any political statement, just factual like that. <laughs> and then they say that, oh, you know, you have, this is probably about six, 10 years. I forgot. You say you have Obamacare. We have a care in Denmark better than Obamacare 50 years ago. See, so it did it different, you know, it is a socially, a very, it, it is a country that is social inclined and they're very wealthy. I don't know if every social welfare country can have like that, but Denmark is a small country. It just is a very wealthy small country. And so they, they have that. So, because of that, the nurses and the doctor have comparable pain. That's not happening in America like that. And since you're talking about ovarian cancer, so the nurses who were doing, who were involved in this study, when the study after six months, the physician for good reasons said that we have to stop the study. The, the nurses rebel. Why are we stopping the study? And then the, the physician said that if we continue the study, we got nothing to compare with because the group A is not here anymore. Mm -hmm. 
So they have nothing to compare. So, but they say that, however, group B, 60% living, you know? So, so. But they can compare it to how long they would live for. That's like, right. So, so like, actually. It's a great study I, 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 right there. Why so, would you stop? I know. So, so the institution allowed them to continue for four times longer. So the study continued to be monitored for 24 months. And. The last statement I want to make, even after 24 months, 25% of the original patient was still living. And then they say stop. Now, I don't know if this patient will continue to get the tocotrienol. When the study stops, that means that they're not monitoring them. It doesn't, this doesn't necessarily mean that they have to stop taking tocotrienol. They can buy, they can get it from someplace else. It's just that the study would not be monitored anymore. That study, was published and it sound is positive. The other studies that I mentioned on breast cancer, on lung cancer, on colon cancer, they're still in the work and and the pandemic three years didn't help us because it's more difficult, you know, uh, to do that, but they are continuing. So we didn't do this study. The study we current it probably would be the last study we are doing. We we committed to do because I mentioned to you inflammation drop, we, did, we decided that after we did the fatty liver study, I'll do one more. We did many study and other people does, did the same in animal study. You know, about two thirds of, of American in the US are either overweight or obese combined like that. That's a huge number of people. And I surmise that the weight that they carry probably bear a huge burden on their body. So I decided with a Texas university professor to conduct a study of men and women who are obese. And, they, and for the women's side, they, uh, they are all postmenopausal. But, but we didn't do it because they're postmenopausal, but they're obese, men and women just from the age I can tell. And so we gave them tocotrienol. The study is still ongoing. My gut feeling is, I don't know when they're in obese state, how their weight can be managed. It's different from the NAFLD like that. But we strongly believe the tocotrienol will be able to contain and mitigate their severe inflammation in the body. So probably in another year, we will know uh, that study on that piece. Very excited about that. So all this to say, and probably many more uh, as well, tocotrienol mitigate chronic condition. That, that's the simplest way I can say. In everything we study, these are chronic conditions and they help. And you can think cancer is not directly necessarily a chronic condition, but I would say that I would say that you can think of cancer as a chronic condition. You know, you and I have heard many times when people are under severe stress they are more prone to cancer, maybe on a family situation uh, like that. So I won't be so shocked. It doesn't have to be, must be gene related, must be uh, diet related. All those are also true, but it can also under severe occasion of stress related within the family or something. So, so yeah. I have a couple of questions regarding, you know, I want to talk about brain, heart, and I want to talk about cancer. So you're talking about taking it with statin drugs. You're talking about how it's, you know, they 
taking it if somebody was overweight, taking it like with all of these different trials that you did. What about if somebody's undergoing chemotherapy? Is that something that has been studied as well? On the chemotherapy, I know I known of two drugs that that had been studied. <clears throat> One of them uh, is a drug that is anti-angiogenesis. It's a drug that causes the angiogenesis uh, 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 crop off, so that it stops the feeding to the tumor, and it helps to potentiate the gemcitabine chemo effect. So it potentiate the drug effect to kill the cancer. So it, it that, that effect rather than the opposite. The other one, probably your audience would be more interested in, is tamoxifen. Well, I was gonna say and so, and in the uh, women with breast cancer take tamoxifen. Sometimes people call tamoxifen as a chemo and sometimes not. Is sometimes not referred to chemo because it is had anti-androgenic, estrogenic property. Most chemo drug, you take it because it just kills the cancer. But I consider tamoxifen a cancer drug because it stops the proliferation of the breast cancer. So in that sense. And they have tocotrieno study in animal and in cell line study. It clearly potentiate the cancer stopping by tamoxifen. So it potentiate the function of tamoxifen. So I, so I, I answer that so question. You're saying when you say potentiate, you mean enhances it, like it works together. Yeah, it, it, a better it, job. It, yeah, it helps it do a better job. The the exact opposite of antagonism. Okay. The exact opposite. So it actually potentiate. I, I only use the word potentiate because that's how medical doctors say it. They say it potentiate the cancer kill. That means it just helped the it cancer helps, drug, okay. <laughs> not not opposing the cancer drug. Help. Wow, no, that's really interesting. And yeah. What if, what if some? And so we're going back to the ovarian cancer study for a minute, or just in general. So does does it? prevent it as well or is it more because you were talking about reverse like i mean the you, you were talking about extending women's lives who had stage four ovarian cancer yes so is it something that you would take is it i kind of look at tokui as like an insurance policy right like it's one of those ingredients that i think is so important like you were talking about it being an antioxidant mm -hmm. and it works on so many levels like as we get into perimenopause and menopause we're so much we're prone to so many more issues heart yeah brain, like everything that we are talking about. And I think it's so important that we have something to be like, okay, so this could be something that could be that insurance. One of the things that we take can be an insurance policy. Is that how you would view TOCOE as well? Yes. I, I to answer, yes, based on animal study and several universities that did that. You know, I'm not saying this to induce fear, but it is there. When Cancer is your normal self gone bad. And your normal self gone can go bad because it's that stage of the cell is arrested. So when it's arrested, that same cell is going to go the same cell, the same cell, the same cell, the same cell. Then eventually that cell will dominate all the other cells. That is a very primitive rudimentary understanding of cancer. 
like leukemia, is lymphoblast. And lymphoblast is just a white blood cell. But if the lymphoblast is arrested, and rather than differentiating into these 12 different white blood cells, it's just arrested. So therefore, the blood only makes lymphoblast, 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 and no other, no other white blood cell. Well, that's not good. That's leukemia. See, it's like that. But it's not a solid tumor like other things. Because people are asking, why is, why is this white blood cell in the blood? Why is it a cancer? I just explained to you why it's a cancer. Because it's arrested. It just makes the same cell over and over again. It, it to the exclusion of all the other white blood cells. That, that's not how the body was supposed. So the DNA is messed up. It does that. So I think when that happened, we have in our body what we, <clears throat> our body, a stem cell. We also have stem cancer cell. So sometime when you kill the cancer, people have cancer relapse. What does this relapse mean that the cancer come back? Because the circulating stem cell that has the DNA, they come back and they manifest themselves again. So there are about six to 10 different studies I'm trying to remember from memory that Toko Trina have tested on cancer stem cell. Remember, not cancer now, the stem oh. cell, the one that is latent, that can come back and relapse. We have tested it on breast cancer, wow. pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, liver cancer, and one more, I don't remember. So that to say, to answer your question, Yes, it is good to take tocotrienol as a precautionary, as an insurance uh, to your body, even if you don't have cancer. Don't have cancer does not mean you don't have cancer stem cell. That is not taken root like that. Your doctor tells you or me that we have cancer when we see a solid mass. Doctors have tell, they tell my wife, they tell other people, when you feel around your breast, do you feel a lump? Stuff like that. Nobody wants to see that. Or if you say, I'm having a fantastic feeling in my abdomen, and then they have x-ray, there's a lump in the liver. See, those are solid tumor. So, but when you have cancer stem cell, there's no lump. There's only a cell. You cannot feel it. There's nothing. So if you take the toco trienol, it will ensure that it will kill the cancer stem cell. So if you want to read more about this, you don't have to write to me. Just just Google. Please do that. Just put toco trienol and cancer stem cell. After you read that, you will appreciate why taking one to 200 milligram to water away all these 38 trillion cells that you have that happen to have 1,000 cancer stem cells. You cannot filter the 1,000 stem cells off, but you can take tocotrienol and they will make sure that this cancer stem cell will not survive and die. So that's very insurance way to deal with it. We had a customer who had messaged us about, she had, I think she had melanoma or skin cancer. Would, can you open up? So how would somebody take tocotrienol? Again, is this a soft gel? Like, would you take the same amount or can you open it up and put it directly on the skin? I, on the skin thing is one of those few exceptions. I would say that of the skin thing and of the colon thing. 
if it is any other part of your body, you can only take it orally. You'll go to different organs like that. I have seen people done it on the cats and dogs. They have melanoma and they apply it to their own body topically. Of course, if you apply it topically, remember, toco trino work inside out and outside. Outside in only have one application on the skin. You, know, you don't put it on your eye like that, on your skin. But inside out is how it works on all the studies we have done. Okay. I have also noticed the outside in also apply to people who have inflammatory bowel syndrome and Crohn's disease. Because when you take the tocotrienol, let's say half of it is absorbed. That would be great. You take it with food. So if you take 150 milligrams, just simple math, 75 milligrams absorbed, it'll do the job it's supposed to do. About 75 milligrams is not absorbed. It's fine. So if it's not absorbed, it's going to line your intestinal thing. And then we already done animal study. The good bugs go up and the bad bugs go down. There's so many benefits. And it's just miraculous. The good bugs go up and the bad bugs go down. That's good microbiome. But if a person has inflammatory bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease, the tocotrienosol is going to slime through your colon, you know. Besides helping the good bug, it would also line your stomach lining. So if you have severe inflammation, it's outside your body. I think of the GI tract. I know I'm sounding a little bit anal here. From your mouth to your anus, is outside your body. When it's absorbed, then it's systemic. So when you get to your colon, it's not inside your body not inside your body means absorb, but the 75 milligram line it and you have inflammation, you reduce the inflammation. What is there not to like? So I, I found that actually anecdotally by asking people who do this. So, so just to repeat, so I, I make sure that I understand hundred percent. If somebody has Crohn's or colitis or any type of infl infl inflammatory bowel disease, taking TOCOE, again, is it the hundred to 200 milligrams or should they take a larger amount? Um, they can do both. They can start with 100 milligram. If they find that uh, episodes of bowel discomfort decrease, then they can take 300 milligram okay. to help. From animal study, when we translate that to human, we they have irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease. The translated amount, you know, translation is not the perfect thing. I think it came up to approximately 200 milligram. I would say if it were to be me, if I have Crohn's disease, there's nothing negative been shown that tocotrienol do harm to people. I would take 300 milligrams. 300 milligrams. And, and I'm going to say again, should they, they should be eating it with a meal. Yes, always please always take it with a meal. Yeah, sure with meal. And and now, I don't know your time, this, but I wanted to say this because I'll be remiss if I don't, because you have repeatedly said that your audience are menopausal women. We did do a study on menopausal. I may have said it in the first, first podcast. In case I didn't, and in case your audience forget, let me say this. This cannot be, uh, uh, oh, Dr. Tan is telling me something boring. It can't be. If I were to be audience, this is not boring. We purposely did a study on postmenopausal women about 10 years ago or seven years ago because postmenopausal women, their estrogen drop. When the estrogen drop, it triggers the process for the bone to start thinning. So they have osteopenia. They will have osteopenia for about 10 years or so. And then if it's still unchecked, then they have osteoporosis like that. 
So we said, okay, we don't want to study women with osteoporosis because when they recruit uh, those ladies, they may be 65 or 75 years old, and then the bone is already too much to change because the bone uh, uh, re remodel themselves once every 24 months, it's really slow. So, but with uh, uh, osteopenia, we can arrest it sooner. And most women will start asking the question, not when they are 85 years old, they'll start asking the question, maybe 55 or even sooner. So we said, this osteopenic stage is better. So we recruited women for postmenopause and have osteopenia using DEXA like that. And we gave them tocotri, you know, see? You, your audience got to be interested. So we, we give them three, and we give them 300 milligram in one dose, and then in another group, 600 milligram, and then in a third group, placebo, and they're blinded. So there's no hanky-panky, the, the physician doesn't know, and then the, uh, the, 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 the patient doesn't know, and some patient even rebels. No, I don't want to take the dummy pill. I want to take the real thing. Exactly. And, say, well, and then the doctor are trained to say, well, we cannot do that. If you insist that, then we cannot enroll you on the study because the study is designed. Uh, placebo, 300 and 600, and, and is blinded. So nobody knows. Not, and we do that to remove the human bias. We, we are not Vulcans. You and I are not Vulcan. We have a heart, we care, we have emotion, and we don't make decisions always so objective, you know, like that. So, so this will help in, in us not making irrationality. So we did. The result came back that the good bone, uh, sorry, the osteoblast, the growing bone increase, mm -hmm. and the one and the osteoclast, the bone that break down, decrease a little, better decrease a little than none, decrease a little. The worst is, as people in, in menopause, it go like this. See that? The, yeah. the breakdown increase and the built up drop. So what we've seen is this. The breakdown drop a little, but the built up increase significantly. Wow. And so the doctor usually use this, over this. So if that number is larger, it's good because this over this, you want this to go up. So if you divide this numerator by this, the number will become big. We saw that in the 300 milligram, let's say the 300 milligram gave us number X. I've forgotten the number. You, you would imagine that the 600 milligram will give the benefit 2X. We did not find 2X. We oh. saw 300 milligram X and the 600 milligram 1.2x. So we just say, so the 600 milligram buys more, buy more, but not much more. So we recommend women who are osteopenic stage to take 300 milligram. The 600 milligram did not buy more. So that's one. Now, the second one, it is still on this menopause thing. I, I almost forgot. When you were saying, oh, postmenopausal women have many problem and then they may have a uh, cardiovascular this and then and then it's not oh bone bone problem bone. that was the only study we did you know so mm -hmm. you know if you look at the structure of an estrogen is actually an antioxidant go online and say i am a 55 60 year old woman my estrogen drop just get google to give you the structure of the estrogen it does have a phenol ring 
and have an OH group is an antioxidant. The human body makes very few antioxidants. And estrogen is an antioxidant. Now, most women know an estrogen is an estrogen. It's a hormone. Yes, yes, yes. But chemically, an estrogen is an antioxidant. So therefore, when her estrogen dropped, all that I wanted to say is her antioxidant capacity dropped. And you asked me at the very beginning of the show, should a normal woman postmenopausal take tocotrienol? It's not only yes, yes, to protect the cell wall. It's a third yes, because your estrogen dropped, your, ast your antioxidant dropped. So if you take it, it will at least supplement back. It may not cause you to increase the estrogen, but at least provide this. I asked the professor in Texas to do that. Can you please measure the antioxidant of the women? So the antioxidant of the postmenopausal women at the beginning were like this. And all those who take placebo drugs that we don't know until the end stay the same. You follow? Here. Mm -hmm. yeah. And those who take 300 milligram, the antioxidant thing go up okay. this way. Wow. And then those who take 600 milligram, they double. So on the osteoblast, osteoclast, increased by 20% only, more than the 300 for the 600. But for the antioxidant, it doubled. All that to say, tocotrienol is a very powerful antioxidant. So her thing double. So unless you know that your anti, you know that your, as you, your body is severely stressed, then you should take 300. If it is not, if you are 55, 60 years old, you're postmenopausal, and your doctor say that you may be osteopenic, then at least 300, start with 300. 300. So I gave you the best shot that I could. <laughs> if, I, if I do, will be your audience listening. Like I almost forgot. I just somehow something you said just now prompted me. So I got to remember that, got to remember that. So. Yeah, no, that is absolutely huge. So, I mean, for us, bone health is, is, is huge as we get into this phase of life. So thank you for that. Um, just a couple more questions and then I will be mindful of your time and let you go. Um, so for, so for, for brain health, I, actually, no, first, now you're talking about, um, you said, you mentioned how uh, tocoe or tocotrienols will not affect hormones. What if women are on hormone therapy? Is there an interaction or can it help hormone therapy work better? Have you done any studies, any clinical trials on that? We have not done clinical trials. I remember somebody else have published uh, something like that. <clears throat> um, uh, that in the bone study, they find that for the strengthening of the bone, it appears that the tocotrienol can function uh, and estrogenically to help the bone uh, contain the calcium in the bone. So they say that it worked like an estrogenic property, but they didn't show data. They only show the data that when they gave the animal tocotrienol, the bone mineral density increased. So that, but when they say it, they say they seem to behave estrogenically. So it doesn't I, increase our estrogens. Like it has no. It effect. doesn't increase okay, the estrogen. It has no effect yeah. on our estrogen. No, no effect on the estrogenic increase, but it strengthened the bone. Uh, the 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 the. Uh, 
capacity of the strength of the bone. It also increases the callus. The callus is the part of the bone that is growing, but not cemented. You know, the bone is organic. And so all those to say, clearly the tocotrienol help in the maintaining the structure of the bone and resist bone mass. What about brain health? How does it work for brain health? The brain health study, I have seen some study published that uh, in aging rats in one study or in a diabetic rat, people who are diabetes also have increased loss of memory and showing that, and then in another study showing the tocotrienol direct involvement on the neuron, which is the nerve like that. They, they all disconnected study, but they all seem to say the same thing, that the tocotrienol improve the neurology and the improvement of the neuron, improve diabetic rat in the ability to retain the memory. And also we have a, a, a what we call Morris uh, swimming maze. If you Google Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S swimming maze, it's a psychology uh, constructed experiment. Uh, they, uh, the rat wants to swim in a direction against the current. So you put things sticking on the board and then, and then uh, uh, and then the, say the rat doesn't want to swim to exhaustion. And then you put a flexi glass, uh, which is same color, the water and the rat can see the flexi glass. But if you stick in a, a green thing on the patch there, so the, the rat will learn if they learn green. And that means that they can get out of the water. You know what I mean? So they do all these kind of experiment. And then when they give them toco try, you know, it take them uh, about, uh, three or four loop swim before they recognize the green thing, they can get out of water. For those that are not, they will swim for many times, two, three times more before they find the flexiglass, indicating that the toco try not help them to improve the memory. They did that and they did something in addition. They took the, the rat away from the swimming pool for two weeks. So they lost that memory. They put it in again, and then they notice that those that were given continue to go try, you know, continue to remember. And the other one that didn't also take longer time. So there's learning memory increase. There's also retention of memory like that. Mm -hmm. So this kind of study, and they're getting more sophisticated, trying to get answers on people who have memory loss as they get older, like Alzheimer's disease, like that. So, but, but it, the jury is still out. But what we see now seems promising. So I cannot say, I cannot dare to say this time to say, if you take tocotrienol, it would help you uh, to, to take away Alzheimer's disease. That would be too bold a statement to me, but it seemed that in the studies that are being done, it seemed to help them to retain some memory, but they're not, uh, uh, they have not have advanced dementia. How about that? I would say that they're still learning, have some degree of dementia. The, the some degree of dementia was the choice of using rats uh, that are diabetic rats. People with diabetes have loss of memory more than the population.
And, to and tocotrienols are for men and women, as you mentioned before. And if somebody had had an, an instance, let's say heart disease, or they had a heart attack, would it be good for them? And they had never been on tocotrienols. They weren't on the insurance policy of tocotrienols before. Is that something they should be starting afterwards? Yes. This one would be more if you have a history of, and I, I usually ask people, we have done many animal study, even in real life study on clinical trial. If you have a family history, if I would be a woman, would, would you be a woman? My grandmother or my mother have breast cancer, or well, then, see, history of. Or if I would be a man, my father, my mother, or somebody have a chronic heart condition, plaquing in the artery, that so if I have a family history of say this too as an example, then I would not take just 150 milligram. It'll be 300 milligram. The insurance policy should be higher because there's a there's a family history of you know. Uh, so when I say 100 to 200 milligram, they they are they come from a, a family and they themselves they're squeaky clean. So if they're squeaky clean, then 100 to 200 milligram would be fine. But if your family history off, even though currently I don't have that, well, then it's not exactly squeaky clean. Then then, then uh, the 300 milligram would be helpful, particularly even if you have a sibling, you have older sibling, wow, your parent, your grandparent, now your sibling have, well, then it's a it's very telltale sign, a wake-up call for myself to do. So, and then, so then after, so we, they have the family history, but then if somebody actually had a cardiac event, it would help, would it help with their recovery? Yes, that would, we have done that with uh, ischemia reperfusion. That means uh, we have animal, if you say this is artery, you constrict the artery uh, for even like, you cannot constrict it for an hour, the animal would die. You do it like this for uh, like half a minute and then, or a minute you let go. When you do this, that situation proliferate a lot. It's called ischemia reperfusion. When you do this, it sends out a lot of free radical. It caused a lot of inflammation. Yeah. So when we did that, if the animal is pre-treated with tocotrienol, then the tocotrienol is able to blunt the severity of that. So I think of a person with heart attack, they already have a condition that the heart is crimped. So that's why they have a heart attack. So if they take tocotrienol, then they would help to reduce all these markers that people measure. An alternative doctor can do this kind of measurement. Interleuk besides C-reactive protein, interleukin six and tumor necrosis factor, NF kappa B. They can do this. We've done many many animal study. A normal uh, physician would not do that, with the exception of C-reactive protein and interleukin six. So those are the two. So when we do clinical study, we always measure these two. Often measure these two, and the inter interleukin-6 and C-reactive protein always drop and they are like earlier on the control 
all the bad things you make downstream. So if you control them and drop them, you kind of like lock it earlier on before they start to make all these other bad things that do damage in your body. I'm happy to hear about IL-6 because genetically I'm more prone to higher levels of IL-6. So I didn't know that. That's really Yeah, it, they, the, the interleukin-6 typically drop about 15 to 20%. So if you're in your case, if you take tocotrienol, uh, if you have your previous number, you look at your recent number, your doctor can do the measurement. And in fact, right now, and I, I think your time will run out, there is two to three drugs currently done by a Harvard professor and he published it in New England Journal of Medicine. This is the same guy. I tell you his name, Je uh, Paul Ritker, R-I-D-K-E-R. -E you Google him, he's a well-known older man, professor at Harvard. After 25 years of study, 25 long years and published in New England Journal of Medicine, he finally found out that this stress protein made in the liver, most people don't even know that, the C-reactive protein. It is a protein made in the liver and it just oozes out in the blood when then the body is under stress. Because he was bothered when half the people who died of heart disease have high cholesterol. Therefore, the other half have normal cholesterol. He said, why is this? And he found out that that was because they have severe inflammation and the C-reactive protein would be a good measurement. This same professor, same guy, Paul Ritker, he's going to spend the next X number of years before he's going to retire. His interleukin is the next one. After second half is C-reactive protein. First half is cholesterol, not going to go away. The second half C-reactive protein. And when he did this, it's kind of like half, half, like this. So half. He found out 25%, remember, 50% cholesterol, 25% is C-reactive protein. He thought it was 50, 25. The other 25% is interleukin-6. So now if you measure both interleukin-6 and C-reactive protein, and now we have a supplement that we have done clinical trials with and animal study with, it modulates to lower your lipid part of the time, it lowers C-reactive protein, and beautifully, it also lowers interleukin-6. As long as I have breath, I will take TOCO-E because I take TOCO-E for this reason. TOCO-E is only tocotrienol, completely free of tocopherol, and it is the only source from plant that has only tocotrienol. Mm. I love it. Dr. Tan, the last thing I want to talk about is hair growth, because we have heard from many of our customers that it helps. They've seen a difference. They see baby hairs. And me, I've been taking Tokoe for so long and I see baby hairs. And I want to know, do you have any research? Like, why are we seeing hair growth? Is that something that you've studied in the research? Like, what's, what is it doing that it's actually creating more hair density? Like, which is amazing. Because again, yeah. another side effect, another symptom that many of us are experiencing in this phase of life. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, the hair growth, I found answers to that anecdotally. Uh, uh, in men, it's not happening because it's androgenic and, and the androgen is too strong. It didn't do it. But for women, we saw this anecdotally when a professor did study on women with breast cancer. He noticed from the women, besides that it helped uh, the women, that their skin became more supple as vitamin E does on the skin and that they have more hair growth 
on that piece. So yes, it, it seemed to work more on women, on hair growth, and not on men, including the supple skin. The supple skin, I hear many times that people give it to the dogs and cats, and then the dogs and cats also have more hair growing uh, on the animal, and then their skin health got better. I've heard that. And, and actually, one other last thing is also anecdotal. We didn't have that study. There's a doctor in Michigan. He gave it to his postmenopausal women or perimenopausal women, and they have hot flashes and sweat. And when he gave it to them within two weeks, I think he gave to them anywhere from four to 500 milligrams per day and the heart flashes uh, stop. So there you have it for whatever. I don't have published study. I've only heard of that anecdotally. So those are all the consummating benefit, more immediate, some of them and more longer term, other ones like the bone thing, longer term, the near term, like heart flashes thing, the skin health and the hair growth thing. This, these are the near term things. So, well, skin suppleness. I mean, like the, our whole skin. I mean, that's the other thing. A lot of women. I've heard from so many women that once they're in menopause for let's say four or five years into it, that their skin changes, their skin health changes. So it's nice to know that taking tocotrienols, taking tocoe, can actually help with skin health. Yes. It does. It does help. Uh, uh, if you ask uh, Charlie, we can send you uh, the, all the studies we have done in animal study, uh, how it can help the skin in particular. We, we don't sell them as cosmetic, but, but we depending on inside out program like that. Mm -hmm. Only I've heard of people applying it because they have skin cancer, skin lesion, or to the animal on the skin like that. That I have heard periodically and animal study that other people do topically. Interesting for animals. So you give animals 150 milligrams, like how many? If you oh, 50, dog... uh, about even a 50 milligram. So if you use 150 milligram, you, you nip the soft gel, uh, uh, unless it's a big dog, like the San Bernard, then you give them 150 milligram. Otherwise you nip it and it's 150 milligram. You just put a little bit uh, oh. on it and you put it in their food and sometimes they lick it from your hand. And then you can save the uh, the same soft gel. We have 100 milligram left. So you can deliver it three times. The wow. dog will see that, particularly if you think that the dog have inflammation, that they have a hard time walking, they're older dog like that, uh, or the dog come back from uh, the veterinarian and then they have cancer of this or another. For when the dog, when the animal have cancer, I notice that people give them higher doses. See for that, but if it's just for normal health, just fifty milligram, and you just smudge it on the dog food or cat food, that should be good enough. I do have one more question. I know I always say it's my last question, but I just thought of something else. If we're taking tokui, one hundred fifty, three hundred milligrams, and you stop it, will it have any negative effect on our body? We, I have never seen that. It, I only seen people stop with this. When people took the, take the toco trienol, the cholesterol drop. And if they stop taking it for up to a month, the, the cholesterol still drop. After that, the cholesterol creep back up. That tells me that when we take the toco trienol, some of the toco trienol is stored in the adipose tissue. And so even when you stop, it continue to release. So if you skip it uh, for a few days because you forgot you went on a trip, you didn't bring your toco try, you know, when you return, you just resume taking. You don't have to take it three, four, five times as much. Just resume your taking. That would be fine. But I've never seen 
uh, when people stop taking toko trieno, negative things come back to them. Not like that. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So informative. Yeah. And have a wonderful weekend. Hopefully uh, your listeners will uh, get a lot of uh, information and blessings from this. So best of health to you and all. That was such good information. I love how we dove deep into the research and the dosages because I want you to understand why taking a product like Tokoe can benefit you now that you're in perimenopause and menopause. If you enjoyed the interview, please share it because the more you share shows you care. And please leave a review for Menopause Reimagine, our amazing podcast, or comment below if you're watching this on YouTube because it helps to educate and get the information out to more people. Thank you for spending the last hour and a bit with me. I appreciate you and I'll see you at the next interview. 